The West Hollywood City Council has voted to remove President Trump's star from the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I headed down to Hollywood Boulevard to gauge people's reaction, and I was actually shocked by what I found. We'll show you. Then, speaking of Hollywood, some of the biggest players in Hollywood are right now very angry with me for pointing out that the critically acclaimed, audience-dismissed movie, Sorry to Bother You, is lazy neo-Marxist trash. We will analyze. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says more stupid things. Candace Owens stops by to discuss her white supremacy. And finally, the mailbag. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Oh, so much to get to today. We've got a lot. I'm sorry we're a little late. Uh, there is a ton going on, though. We were just down at Hollywood Boulevard. I will show you that clip. It really, really uh, shocking. Before we get to that, let's make a little money, honey. How about that? Does that sound good? And I'm going to make, I'm going to save you a lot of money. I'm talking about Mint Mobile. Uh, look, I have dealt with this very personally. You know, you, you sign up for a cell phone plan, then you get your bill. It's enormous. You call, you can't get through. You bought the unlimited data, whatever plan, and you pay an arm and a leg every month. It's awful. Dealing with those companies is awful. There is a solution. I promise you. Introducing Mint Mobile the game-changing company that's taken everything that's wrong with big wireless and made it right. This, they, they are not just disrupting cell phones. They are re revolutionizing them. Mint Mobile makes it very easy to cut your wireless bill down to 15 bucks a month. That's it. No hidden fees, no nothing. 15 bucks a month. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan. You can keep your old number along with all of your existing contacts. You can choose between the 2, 5, and 10 gigabyte 4G LTE plan. No more paying for unlimited data that you're never ever going to use. If you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their 7-day money-back guarantee. Outfox your old wireless bill. Start saving with Mint Mobile. I am telling you right now, you could cut your wireless bill down by like an order of magnitude. Do this right now. You'd be crazy not to. Get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month plus free shipping on your Mint Mobile SIM card. Go to mintmobile.com slash covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Mintmobile.com slash covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Cut your wireless bill down to 15 bucks a month. Get free shipping on the Mint Mobile SIM card. Mintmobile.com slash covfefe. You might have heard about this. Uh, the West Hollywood City Council voted to get rid of Donald Trump's star. Now, of course, when they voted on that, they had to then urge the Chamber of Commerce and the LA City Council and on and on and on to remove President Trump's star from the world famous Hollywood Walk of Fame. So I went down to Hollywood Boulevard to see if the people who are walking around on Hollywood Boulevard, the locals, the residents, people from Los Angeles, tourists, to see what they uh, think about that local lefty government, West Hollywood's idea. I was shocked by what I found. Here it is. The West Hollywood City Council has just voted to remove President Donald Trump's star from the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I'm Michael Knowles. I'm here to get people's reactions on the removal of Donald Trump's star. Should Trump get to keep his star or should they rip it up? They should rip it up. I'm always, uh, I mean, if it upsets people, just remove it, I guess. I don't know why he had one in the first place. I wasn't too sure, like... Well, he's a big TV star. He had that show, The Apprentice. I don't, I don't like that show. What about the other stars that upset people, like the Bill Cosby star? Oh. Well, they didn't, they weren't racist against people, I guess, or they didn't talk... But Bill Cosby's a rapist against people. That's true. You know, right next to Donald Trump's star is Kevin Spacey's star. Oh, that's right. That's also controversial. That's harsh. What do you think we should do about, uh, say, Bill Cosby's star? <sighs> I gotta sleep on it. What do you think? Should the star be removed? Uh, it's a kind of like, hot question, but I think it's good. So you think the star should stay? 
Yeah, stay, yeah. It doesn't bother me. The star doesn't bother you? It doesn't bother me. Would yeah. you say that you support Donald Trump or you don't support him? They just voted in the West Hollywood City Council to get rid of Donald Trump's star. What do you think about that? I think that's wild. Um, you should leave it there, you know? Or would you call yourself a Trump supporter? Uh, nah. I'm just a dude. That should Trump get to keep his star? It doesn't feel like it's right to just remove it, just because someone vandalized it. Would you guys call yourselves Trump supporters? Uh, not necessarily. I'm, I'm more like moderate, I guess. I think they should they shouldn't have to, you know, remove it um, or something or nothing like that. You know, I think that's just more spreading more hate. You know, it's just turning turning people against each other. And they actually have no power to get rid of that star. It's all up to Hollywood here, Chamber of Commerce. Would you call yourself a Trump supporter? Yes. Yes, I would. There aren't that many of us out here. No, there isn't, man. No, there isn't. It's just, it's just me and you, man. Me, it doesn't really matter if he has a star or not. So it's really just a symbolic thing that they've decided because they don't like the president. It's, you think it's virtue signaling? Absolutely, I think it's virtue signaling. Believe me, it's good for business. Whether you like him or not, people want a picture. Either thumbs down or thumbs up. So... That's, that's, a, that's a true story. Donald Trump is good for business. Build a new star and put a wall around it. That's what I think. And a bigger star, too, on like four, four blocks. That's a great idea. I'm in. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. Peace and love. I love you guys. So that's what you've heard. The local lefty politicians here are so disconnected from the people who actually walk around Hollywood that they all say one thing about the star and the people on the street say exactly the opposite. An important lesson not to believe the mainstream media and lefty politicians. A lesson that will always serve you well. I'm Michael Knowles from Hollywood Boulevard. I like that guy who said he's going to build the wall around Trump's star. I think we, we need to build a wall around Donald Trump's star and we need to make the West Hollywood City Council pay for it. And that wall is going to get 10 feet higher and higher and higher. You're going to need a ladder to climb up and look down into it. I was really actually quite surprised. We were going to go out there and do a video about how all these people are hypocrites, right? That's what we suspected we'd find in Hollywood. You go out there, you say, should they remove Trump's star? They say, yeah, I want to take a sledgehammer to it myself. Yeah, I want to hit it myself. And then you say, what about... Uh, Brett Ratner, what about Cosby, what about Harvey Weinstein, what about all these other guys? And they'd say, oh, yikes, right? That, that was what we assumed we would find. But no. The reason we thought that is because the media are always hysterical. So they'll, they'll always say, oh, yes, all these people in Hollywood, they hate Trump, they, they want to get rid of him. No, that isn't the case. I mean, look, President Trump's approval rating is quite high. It's around 50% according to daily tracking polls. It's higher than Barack Obama's was at this time in his presidency. He's actually quite popular. He's not popular with the media. He's not popular with local lefty politicians. It, you know, the mainstream media run 92% negative coverage of Trump. But he's very popular. He's uncommonly popular with people. And that's, we found that to be true even in uh, Los Angeles, even in Hollywood. And this brings us to this other issue, this huge disconnect between the ideologues and the media types and the Hollywood types and people, you know, people who live wherever. They could live in Palookaville, they could live in Hollywood, but they're people who don't work in the media or who don't work in politics or don't work in those sort of uh, rarefied uh, social areas which are considered very elite. Uh, that difference, you see this in a movie that I saw last night that I'm getting dragged all around the internet for. I saw the movie Sorry to Bother You. This movie is getting universal critical acclaim. It had a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's now dropped slightly to 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. I said, okay, I got to go see it. Uh, a, couple, you know, a couple of the actors in it I liked. So I said, okay, well, I'll go see this movie last night. It is the single worst movie I have ever seen. That is no exaggeration. I've seen a lot of horrific movies. This movie, 
let's just play the trailer. Can we play the trailer? I just really need a job. Forty on two. This is telemarketing. Stick to the script. Hey, hello, uh, Mr. Davidson. Cash is green here. Sorry to bother. Let me give you a tip. You want to make some money here? Use your white voice. My white voice? I'm never talking about Will Smith's wife. Like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer. This is Langston from Regal View. As always, we'll be getting that out to you right away. You're doing so good with the voice thing. Holla, 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 holla. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Upstairs, power caller. They even have their own elevator. Welcome, power caller. I hope you did not masturbate today. We need you sharp and ready to go. I got promoted. I'm a power caller. What do they sell? They're not selling, but we sell it. No, there's no amount of money that'll make me do that. Here's the starting salary. Well, man, I'm gonna have to get me some new suits. Whatever I wear, no, I'm here to be clear. It is morally emaciated. I can't ride with you. I'm doing something I'm really good at. Cash, I'm gonna make you a proposal. I can see that you want to say no, but I wouldn't do that before you see what I'm offering you. Cash, you are awesome. Th this movie is uniquely terrible. I actually recommend that people go see the movie. It, just to understand how degraded our society has become, our art has become, and our politics has become, you've got to see this movie. I'm not telling people to stay away from theaters. You should see it. I mean, I, there were people who eventually, after an hour 45, they walked out of this thing. It was so bad. But I was determined to stick it out, and I'm glad I did. The director of that movie uh, Boots Riley actually tweeted at me because I gave it a bad review on Twitter. And he said, well, I'm glad to have a bad review from you. You know, a bad review from you is great, great encouragement. It's a great endorsement. I'll explain why that movie is so terrible, why the critics love it, why audiences hate it. Before I do that, let's make a little more money, huh? Can we do that? Can we keep the lights on in this place? Let's talk about Ring Security. Ring is so good. Ring is uh, the video doorbell. You know, I've talked about them before. It's the one that all the cool guys have. So when you go to like your cool friend's house, they'll have that video doorbell where you click it and it goes right to their phone. They can talk to you uh, two-way, you know, whether they're inside the house, they're on the couch, or they're on a beach in Boca or something like that. It's really good and uh well, so the, the main, uh, obviously it's very convenient, but the main use of this thing is security. There used to be the neighborhood watch. That is passe. That, this is, it can see who's coming there if someone wants to steal your packages, try to break in. It uploads the video directly to the cloud. So if they steal your ring doorbell, you can still get the video. Check out this clip. So a crazy looking guy walks up to a home and the first thing you hear is him kicking in the door. Then the homeowner catches him because of his ring doorbell. Hey, sorry, we're uh, in the middle of dinner. Can I help you? Yes, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, I haven't seen you in a while. I, I, don't, know who, I don't know who you are. I'm Justin. I, I don't know you, Justin. I met you a long time ago when I was younger. No, I'm sorry, you're in the wrong place. I, okay. Much love and God bless for both gods. 
God bless, Justin. Watch out when the, when the cops see that video. You, you might be the one that needs the prayers. Uh, you can see what's going on at your front door. You can really stop a crime. It's incredibly empowering. Uh, they, there's the floodlight camera, the spotlight camera. You build a ring of security around your whole property. It, it's, it's a must-have right now. I mean, I understand 10 years ago this technology didn't exist, so there were all of these other ways that try, to try to be, have security. Now you need a ring. Save up to $150 on a ring of security kit at ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That is ring.com slash Knowles. Uh, I love mine. My friends love theirs. Everyone I know who has it loves it. $150 off when you go to ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Uh, you can stop crime before it starts in your neighborhood. I've been giving these out to my friends. It's a great gift as well. Definitely go get it. Okay. Why is this movie so bad? The, the movie suffers for, a, for, a, for many reasons. There's nothing redeeming in the movie. There's nothing. Re- so to set it up, it is a Marxist movie. It's a, a, I, I suppose I should say a neo-Marxist movie because there's a racial component added to cla- this class struggle issue. It, it's, you know, it's set obviously in the modern day. There are modern problems that it's uh, allegedly dealing with, but it is a neo-Marxist movie. And don't take my word for it. Boots Riley, the director, admits that himself. He calls himself a communist. He's been a communist since he was 15 years old. Boots Riley joined the Progressive Labor Party, which is a Marxist-Leninist organization. He joined it at the age of 15. He is a full-fledged communist. He is open about what this movie is about. So it's deeply perverse and it's deeply ideological, which just screws up art to begin with. But the reason that really matters is that, you know, art is supposed to reflect reality. It's but we're supposed to consume art a movie or a painting or a novel or something, and we see something about ourselves, about our experience of uh, human nature, our experience of the world. This movie is based on a false ideology, an ideology that should have been relegated to the dustbin of history. That ideology is communism. And the, all of the premises just don't work, especially doesn't work these days. What they're saying is that economic liberty in this is really slavery. I mean, they draw a direct connection to that. Economic liberty means that people don't have jobs. But we look around us now. The economy is much freer. We have lower taxes, less regulation, and the economy is booming. Everybody has jobs. There are more jobs than people to fill them right now. Wages are increasing. Prosperity is increasing. We know this to be the case. So our own experience of reality contradicts this movie. But there's so much more to it. There's so, you know, uh, the, the communist slogan is that religion is the opiate of the masses. It's the, it's the opium of the masses. And there's a part in this movie where a guy, this broken down, working class man, he takes a crucifix and pops out what seems to be a Eucharist and eats it like it's his medicine, like it's, like it's an opiate, like it's a drug. That, and that's, that's the other aspect. That's the filmmaking aspect of it. So ideologically, it's so wrong that it, you can't relate to it. Nobody can. People will pretend to relate to it because they want to feel like they're, you know, part of the working struggle, man, but nobody really can. But it's so clumsy. Everything is so clumsy. So the, the, just as a technical aspect of filmmaking, directing, writing, it's really weak. I mean, it's really just abysmal. The, the main character's name is Cassius Green. Cassius Green. You get it? Do you, do you get it? Cassius Green. It's really really subtle. And by the way, if you didn't get it, his nickname is Cash. So just in case you didn't get it, the, the, I don't, this is a spoiler alert. You're, it doesn't matter because the movie is so awful. You should go see it, but you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, but close your ears for 10 seconds if you don't want to hear this. The, the big reveal at the end is all the people that are working for the capitalist are turned into horses. They're workhorses. You get it? Do you get it? 
It's really subtle. <laughs> it's, so, it's so bad. And, and you know, look, I hate cri- acting is a hard thing. Working in show business is a hard thing. So I actually hate criticizing uh, artists. But the acting is fine. I'll leave it there. The acting is fine. And there's no standout performances. So actually, a couple, there are a couple very small roles that you, that you have a moment of, oh, that was good. Broadly speaking, the acting is fine to not fine in the movie. The writing is horrific. The cinematography is clumsy. It's not, it's almost clever at points, but it's pretty clumsy. The movie just is bad. It's just really shallow and bad. Nevertheless, the reviewers love it. Uh, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 62% from audiences. That tells you basically all you need to know. St. Louis Dispatch says, sorry to bother you. It's an uncompromising and timely film of unapologetic brilliance. Chicago Reader says, sorry to bother you, ponders the danger of trying to assimilate into the white world but it's a multiracial proletarian call to arms. One of the premises of the movie is you can't get ahead unless you use the white voice. So these black people have to talk like they're white people. The the idea being that if you become upwardly mobile, you're selling out your race. That's that's a premise of the movie. And then the other is that freedom is slavery. I mean, it's really quite Orwellian. And you would think that the experience of people under socialism and communism would banish those awful ideologies to, to the end of history. You know, we had Ji Song-ho come in here the other day from North Korea, the North Korean defector. I, I wonder if Boots Riley would ever look him in the face and talk to him about how great communism is. His family starved under a communist dictatorship. He was maimed. He was brutalized. He was tortured for years and years under communism. I wonder if Boots Riley, this know-nothing from America who grew up in, relative to the rest of the world, utter prosperity. I wonder if if that guy would look him in the face and tell him how great communism is. It's so, I mean, the thesis of the film basically is productive work is bad. uh, Upward mobility is bad. Uh, laziness is good, and uh, we should be unproductive and make bad art. It actually, the film actually lifts up bad art, which is funny because it's very bad art. Uh, really awful. I've got to get to, we've got Candace Owens stopping by. Very quickly, I do want to cover Ocasio-Cortez saying stupid things. Here she is. Take it away, Alexandria. Go ahead, please. She is, she is the leader of, of, no, no, she, I mean, um, um, Speaker, or rather Leader Pelosi, mm-hmm. hopefully, um, you know, we'll see. She's uh, she's the, the current leader of the party. And I think that the party absolutely does have its leadership in the House. We have our leadership in in the Senate as well. OK, well, so. Nancy Pelosi is not the head of the Democrat Party. The chairman of the Democrat Party is uh, Tom Perez. And Nancy Pelosi isn't the highest ranking elected Democrat, right? I mean, the, the, that would be Chuck Schumer, the leader of the Senate. Senate is a, is a more powerful, more prestigious body than the House of Representatives. Um, she just doesn't even know these basic things. And she's been running for a while now. Doesn't take Ali Stuckey to do this to her. Keep, keep going, Alexandria. So we're paying for this system. We Americans have the sticker shock of healthcare as it is. And what we're also not talking about is why aren't we incorporating the cost of all the funeral expenses of those who die because they can't afford access to health care? That is part of the cost of our system. Uh, so <laughs> where, where do you even begin with that? The reason that we're not doing that is uh, people dying is not simply a function of our current healthcare system, everybody dies. 
Every, people will die. I know you might be shocked to hear this, Alexandria, but under socialist healthcare, people will die too. Actually, we've seen people be killed by their governments under socialist healthcare. Just this year, we've seen those poor little babies in the United Kingdom, baby Alfie, baby Charlie Gard, they were killed by their socialist healthcare system. But they'll, they will die. They'll all die. At most in this world, uh, one person has escaped death. At most, right? There's one guy and, uh, and you're not him. <laughs> and socialism won't create him. Uh, it, unbelievable, her, her ignorance. And it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I can't believe she keeps going on TV. I, I don't know why. And to watch Chris Cuomo, Fredo Cuomo, just... Mm, mm, yeah, mm, it's really terrific. Uh, we've got to bring on our dear friend, Candace Owens. Candace, as you know, got in trouble for being a, a black white supremacist the other day. A bunch of, a bunch of white lefty girls uh, basically accused her of white supremacy. So uh, let's, I talked to Candace earlier today. Let's bring her on. Candace, you know, I try not to have any white supremacists on my show. I really make a point of that, but I made an exception for you. Uh, you, you know, you've been in the news a lot recently as uh, a black female white supremacist. What do you have to say for yourself? You know, not not much here. It's it is difficult in this country being a black white supremacist. Um, <laughs> it's, it's even more difficult when you find out from white people that you're a white supremacist. But it's been a difficult week for me and my family. But I'm I'm coming out on top here. So those girls, because you did find out from white people, those girls who surrounded <laughs> you, start doing the blow horn, start whistling in your ear. They were all white. I looked at the video. It looked like all of them were these white girls who were yelling at you and calling you a white supremacist because you, a black woman, wouldn't do what they told you to do. That is exactly right. It sounds absolutely loony, but that is what happened. I mean, they are they are really white. I mean, these people and it's funny because Philadelphia <laughs> It's a 44% black city, so it's actually unique. Like it's it's uniquely black. It's 44% black, and that's not including other minorities. So it's it's a majority um, minority city, Philadelphia. And it was just, I think, one of the strangest things that's ever happened to me. And what was crazy is the entire police force is black. So there was only one police officer that was white. The other 10 of them were black and Hispanic, and they started shouting at the police officers, "You guys are race traitors!" And I said to them. Whose race are they betraying? Yours? Yeah, yeah. We, you know? we are 100% of the black people in this situation are on my side. And then yeah. you, that's unbelievable. And, and yeah. this, I mean, this is uh, one of many incidents with you this week. You, you sent out that tweet. It was so brilliantly done where you took Sarah Jong, the, the Asian uh, New York Times editorial board member, that her tweets about white people, her tweets denigrating white people, and you switched the race. And you were you were booted off of Twitter for that. I was. I was booted off of Twitter because for harassment and you're not allowed to discriminate based off of race and gender. But she wasn't booted off of Twitter. She was not. She kept the tweets up since 2013. So she's had <laughs> those tweets up. She hasn't even taken them down in lieu of the controversy. Um, but instantly, as soon as I said it about black about black people and Jewish people, I was wiped off. And, and look, I agree that the sentiments are racist. And that was the point. You know, uh, but why? Why? What is the platform saying when you say that it's our right to discriminate against white people, but it's not okay to discriminate against black people? So you're you're saying that now uh, you you get suspended from Twitter, and then Twitter finally puts you back on after a day or two. Is that so? Then it's then it's all good. Then everybody, the big tech is okay with you now. No, actually, so three hours after I tweeted that I was reinstated, I didn't even, um, I didn't apply to be reinstated, but there was so much noise. Twitter went crazy with this. Oh, yeah. And then 
their big people must have been like, oh, it was a big accident. They sent me an apology. But I just logged on to my Facebook account. I just landed in Arizona and I'm kicked off of Facebook too. I'm in Facebook jail for 24 hours with a warning for the exact same tweet. The black people <laughs> underground like goblins. So, hey, what can we say? Big tech really cares about black people. Not so much if your skin's white. Wow. That's so... That is incredible. So it's the same tweet. Would you, you just posted a, the text or a screenshot or something? Yeah, it was a screenshot of the exact same tweet. So it wasn't. I didn't even like redo it for Facebook's platform. I just screenshot like black people should live underground like goblins. But the best part of the tweet is that I specifically say under. The following tweet is from Sarah Jong, New York Times editor. I simply replaced the word white with black. And it's not okay. It's not acceptable because that's where we're at in this society. They condone hate against white people. Um, and they say that they're doing it. I don't know. Maybe it's it, they're they're calling balls and strikes, and uh, because of slavery, I guess we're we're just allowed to just be blatantly racist to white people in this society. Uh, because black people represent a minority, we're allowed to be blatantly racist to white people in this society. And I'm strongly against it. It's ideologically inconsistent. The oppressed are not allowed to become the oppressors. It doesn't work that way. It, it is incredible because that the, the your tweet so clearly showed that that there is this racial. A double standard and that by big tech, by the New York Times, by all of these huge privileged institutions, uh, uh, bigotry against white people is tolerated. And they talk about white privilege, but it's hard to get more privileged than the editorial board of the New York Times. Why <laughs> yeah. is that? You know, the, what the left says to this, by the way, is they say, you can't be racist against whites because whites are on top. Even though, you know, they, they use the wage You're gap not, all the time. By the way. White they, people are not on top. That's right. Asian Americans are on top. That's the that's just a, it's the craziest myth. The wealthiest people in this country are, are um, Japanese Americans and Indian Americans. So it's it's completely false to even say. But they, they don't they don't like those facts. You know, the people that are most likely uh, to get approved for a mortgage loan at the bank are Asian Americans, not white people. Okay, so it you know why? Because it's based on credit, and they have better credit than everybody else. So these are the facts they conveniently wipe away. They don't want to talk about Asian Americans. You know, because it completely blows up their entire argument that black people. Um, are being discriminated against based off of the color of their skin. You know, most of these circumstances, especially when you talk about bank loans, we have bad credit. Why should someone loan you money? And if you actually look at the statistics, I've, I've been reading this book um, currently, uh, Dr. Thomas Sowell's Race Intellectuals, and he just debunks all of these myths over and over again and gives you the, the concrete facts. Another part they don't want to tell you is that black people are more discriminated against in black banks than anywhere else. You know, so it's, it's all about, like, society likes us divided. They like people to have an excuse to get through life. And I exist just trying to disrupt that narrative because it's not healthy for people on either side. That, that is exactly right. Because it's funny, when you mention, they say, the wage gap and they compare everything to white men. And you say, you know, when you look at median uh, income, uh, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, white men are not at the top, uh, the top earners in wages. They'll say, well, why, why are you talking about the Asians? Why are you bringing that up? And you say, <laughs> look, I didn't bring it up, man. I'm not the one who's talking about these racial categories. You are. But, and so they bring them up, but then they get everything e even then wrong. They get it all backwards. The, the wildest thing to me, uh, there were two amazing things about that video. One is that it's all these white girls shrieking F white supremacy, which in <laughs> itself is demonstrating white supremacy, right? They, they are the white supremacists. But then the other aspect is when they, they run out of their tired slogans and they just started screaming sounds. It was like demons Wild. mawing in hell. You <laughs> no, know? That's what it sounded like. Why? Blood curdling shrieks like, like, I was like, this is what I would imagine hell was like 
You know, like if you were just down there, like if Satan was in your soul, you would just start shrieking. It was blood curdling. It's like it wasn't even animalistic. It was something entirely of another world. That's right. You know, and what was that? <laughs> well, that's what I wonder. What, what, does that tell us something? I mean, you were there. You're the one who experienced it. Does it tell us something about the left? Does it tell us something about their arguments? Why are they, you know, I was waiting for them to say like, what have you to do with us, Candace Owens? You know, <laughs> what, what does that What does that tell you about where the left is right now? You know, I, to me, it's very clear that they're losing. So in, in the same week, we saw the Rasmussen poll that was released, which said that black support has doubled uh, for Donald Trump since this exact same time last uh, year. That's really significant because the left, since he has stepped in office, how many times do you think if we had to count, if you and I had to count on MSNBC and on CNN, how many times they have said the word racist and racism? We wouldn't be able to count. I can't count that high. Okay. (laughs) So, and yet, despite that, despite them aggressively pushing this narrative, black people are, are embracing Donald Trump. And that goes to show you that it's not working anymore. That's falling on deaf, on deaf ears. You can't, you can only say it, but so many times before, at least for me, it was just like, okay, everything can't be racist. I mean, anything that happens to a black person is called racist. Mm-hmm. We saw this week, LeBron James scandal. It's okay. You can think that a black person is dumb. You can think that a white person is dumb. That could not be based off of their skin color. It be based on their IQ. I mean, there's a strong evidence to support the claim that Maxine Waters is a low IQ individual. You know, so <laughs> you're telling me <laughs> you are telling me so, No, that's absolutely right. I do think they're clearly desperate. They're seeing their divisive coalition uh, breaking apart right before their eyes. And that's where the scream comes from. They don't they they've run out of uh, slogans and lies and they just there's this the scream. But before I let you go, because I know I've got to let you go. I I would be remiss if I didn't bring up my favorite conspiracy theory on the Internet which is that that video of you with all the white girls yelling at you, really, secretly, you staged all of that. You paid the cops, you staged everything, uh, because it's, I think it's basically left-wing trutherism. Yeah. yeah, what, what, do, you, what do you have to say so to that? crazy. And I was like, explain to me, because actually the Washington Post called us and CNN called us, asking us to answer that claim. And, you know, Charlie was so <laughs> angry. He got so angry at the question that he calls me up and he says, okay, could you actually call them? Because I'm going to lose my on the phone. And so, so, so I call them and I'm like, you know what? I was like, I'm not even going to answer the question. I want you to actually tell me how we could have staged it. Mm-hmm. Like, just create it for me. How could we have done it? I call the police officers. I call Antifa. I'm like, I know you hate us. Let's just work together to get this done. I mean, it was just nonsense. And in the person on the phone, uh, the Washington Post editor couldn't come up with a scenario. I was like, do you understand how implausible it is that we created this scenario and colluded with Antifa to come harass us and colluded with the police officers and uh, the restaurant owner who gave a statement and said, I didn't know what was going on. I, they just saw people at the window throwing things at them. And, I, and the funniest part, which nobody's talking about, is that uh, the restaurant owner says, I thought they were vegans outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very nice to the chickens and the fish, you know. <laughs> that That's it. I'm sure, I'm, yeah, you would have had to collude with everybody. You probably would have colluded with the Russians too. What Russian. it, I think what it is, is that the, the reality is stranger than the fiction. They, they yes. try, remember our, our pal Ali Stuckey did that fake interview with Ocasio-Cortez, <laughs> that satire, and they said, you're making Ocasio-Cortez look stupid. You said, we don't need... We don't need to make Ocasio-Cortez look stupid. We don't need to make these lefties look racist and, and crazy. They they do just fine by themselves. Right, and that's exactly it. And what I, what I think is good, though, is that it, it really, it's, it's, it was such a strong case. Those images are so vivid of seeing these white girls shriek and these white guys shriek. And it actually helps us more than it hurts us. So mm-hmm. I was just... 
I, I'm so happy with it because so many people that were on the left wrote to me and said, I don't recognize my party anymore. You know, this is where I draw a line in the sand. So and this is how it, no Democrat politician spoke out against it, by the way. Um, so we'll see what comes of it. But I think that stuff like this, the crazier they get, the more desperate they get. It just helps our cause. Absolutely right. Well, it's really great work. I hope you get your hearing back from all those blow horns and yeah. whistles. I'll let you go. I know you just landed in Arizona, but as always, Candace, very good to talk to you. And you're the, you're the one exception. I'll have no white supremacists on my show <laughs> except for you. Yes. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later, Candace. Bye-bye. All right, I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube if we haven't been shut off yet after yesterday's show. If you are on dailywire.com, thank you very much. You help keep the lights on and Kofefe in my cup. If you're on Facebook and YouTube, go to dailywire.com right now. Why? Why, you ask? Well, you get me, you get the Andrew Flavin Show, you get the Ben Shapiro Show. You get to ask questions in the mailbag. That's coming up right now. You get to ask questions in the conversation. I'm the one next. I think that's next week. And most importantly of all, you get this. This is very important. Because when white lefty girls are, are triggered and upset by that black white supremacist Candace Owens, you're going to, I lost the train somewhere. I don't, I haven't quite followed it. You're going to need the leftist tears tumbler. Otherwise you're going to drown. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back with the mailbag. All right, let's do it. We got to run through these. As always, we're running late. From Larry, my name is Dom, Damaris. Ah, for the A's. All right. New subscriber here, and I love your show. Your bit today about the leftist tears from Ohio had me in tears laughing. I would like to get your opinion on what makes the Democratic Party think that if they throw a fit long enough or loud enough that they'll get their way. I look at them in pity because every time I see them throwing a fit, makes me think of little kids at the store throwing themselves on the floor demanding their way. And then I see a bunch of parents, Republicans, dragging their butts to the car and giving them a whooping, but then they don't come back any different. It's a bit daunting for me to see. I know y'all see it more than me, but what's your take on it? That's exactly why. The analogy is exactly right, because the Democrats today, basically the whole party, and certainly the left wing of the party, which accounts for about 99.7% of it, uh, behave like children. They behave like little children. And why is that? Why do little children misbehave? Well, because they're, they're morally ignorant, so they're not, you know, they do bad things. They're, they're, they are tempted to do bad things and they're not really at an age of reason. And uh, two, because they're poorly educated. They, they're not really educated, so they don't know very much. The same holds true of Democrats these days. They're very credentialed Democrats these days. They usually have degrees from good colleges or a lot of different degrees. But the, the quality of the education is so bad that the trouble is not what they don't know, but all of the things that they know that just ain't so, uh, like in history or political philosophy or, uh, or broadly in public policy. You know, over 50% of millennials identify as socialist. All of those millennials, virtually all of them, were born after the fall of the Berlin Wall. They don't remember the horrors of communism. They don't remember these things. And because they don't realize that life existed before they were born, uh, they, they fall right into all of those, <coughs> excuse me, a few too many stogies. They fall right into all of those traps. Uh, we, you've really got to, like with a child, be patient, you know, educate them, have a little tough love. You don't want to torture them. You don't want to be too harsh. Just have a little tough love. And uh, um, I think we're seeing this happen right now. There's a big growing up that's going on right now. President Trump's approval ratings are quite high. People are seeing that freedom works. Uh, I, I think all around the country, we're, we're doing pretty well. So let's hopefully, hopefully we can keep that up. From Joel, 
Thanks for being an Ask Me Anything guest at the New Right Network. Now on to my mailbag question. You mentioned in an earlier mailbag that you would advocate for strategic voting. I reside in Georgia and we have a huge governor's race this November. I know Brian Kemp, the Republican candidate, is most likely going to win due to Georgia's Republican majority against radical Stacey Adams. But I'm considering voting for the Libertarian Party for them to gain ballot access statewide. Our state Republican Party seems to be very swampy and does not seem to advocate for true conservatism, whatever that is. They declared the district where my university resides a lost cause for the Georgia GOP. Any advice on this conundrum? I always advocate the Buckley rule, named for William F. Buckley Jr., to, wrote, to, to vote for the most right viable candidate. You should vote for the most right viable candidate. So in this case, that probably means voting for the Republican. I don't know that it's a good thing for the Libertarian Party to get ballot access. I don't know that we should have multiple parties, three, third parties, fourth parties. I don't think that necessarily helps. I don't see evidence that that helps our politics. But for instance, if you're in a place where you've got two Democrats and a Republican, the Republican is simply not going to win. You know, you're surrounded by blue. Nobody's going to vote for the Republican. All of the evidence shows nobody's going to win. And you've got a wacko socialist and you've got a Joe Manchin Democrat, a more, more moderate, whatever that means these days, then I think it's perfectly right to strategically vote for the better of the two viable choices, for the more right of the two viable choices, even if they're awful. But in a case where you just think, oh, I don't know if that Republican is strong enough, I think there are better ways to move the party to the right than by trying to create a third party, for instance, or something like that. I'm not sure that that works. Bill Buckley famously did it in New York. He started the conservative party because the, the GOP in New York was so far gone. It was so unbelievably liberal. John Lindsay, the Republican mayor candidate, eventually became a Democrat. You know, is that far gone? It's still pretty bad. So in that case, maybe a third party works. In Georgia, I'm not sure Georgia's that bad. I, I'm not familiar enough with Georgia politics on the ground level. So you'll have to make that call. But I think broadly, voting is about affecting certain government, bringing about certain government, bringing about certain public policy. It's not really about you. It's not about you feeling really good about yourself. So if you, if the Republican isn't that bad and the Libertarian Party, who knows what they will do, then I'd vote for the Republican. From Andy. Hi, Michael. I religiously hate your guts, obviously, obviously. I mean, just look at you, what's not to hate? In all seriousness, now you said you were an atheist for 10 years from 13 to 23. I myself have been an atheist now for seven or eight years. I'm a conservative, agree with all conservative views on politics. However, when it comes to God, I don't see any evidence whatsoever that a God or anything supernatural exists. Literally can't find a scrap of evidence whatsoever that anything beyond the natural that we know exists. What evidence did you see that I didn't, that showed you something supernatural does exist? Or is it those 10 years you were being agnostic and really didn't, did believe in a higher power all those years? Thanks. Hate your show. All hail Ben Shapiro. <laughs> uh, let me try to answer all of those questions there. First of all, I don't think there's any such thing as an atheist. Uh, because when the plane starts shaking, when the bullets start flying, even the most ardent atheist starts praying. And also the atheists who always talk about how they're atheists, they, I don't know, I don't, I don't talk constantly about things that I don't think exist. I don't talk about unicorns all the time, you know? So I'm, I'm really skeptical. I think people are, are in a relationship with God and they either hate God or they are angry at God or whatever. I would have probably called myself an atheist, but I, I no longer think atheists really exist. 
As for evidence of the supernatural, I think what you mean is the metaphysical, things beyond the physical world. You know, this is a physical object, even though it has metaphysical importance, the leftist here is Tumblr. Um, obviously, things exist beyond the physical world. Mathematics exists. You wouldn't, you're not a math denier. Probably you would say the moral order exists. You behave in a moral way. There's something outside of uh, time and space that has a, that there has a moral order. There are there are there is a metaphysics to the world. There is that which is not physical. Ideas exist. Ideas aren't physical. Those are those are metaphysical. Uh, consciousness is hard to explain as a matter of just physical processes. I don't I don't. There's no evidence of consciousness as a physical process. Your own thoughts, the spirit, the mind, the soul, ideas. Those are all metaphysical things. What convinced me that God exists is that the arguments for God are quite good, and there isn't really a good argument against God. There were many good arguments for God. The one that got me, my, my reversion experience was a lot like C.S. Lewis's, and I, I've been told that this is very uncommon, but it was certainly true of me, and it was very similar to Lewis, in that certain arguments really convinced both of us the ontological argument, for one, is a really elegant little argument that, that did, in fact, uh, convince me. But it was intellectual at first. It was all just intellectual. I was convinced by that argument. Uh, there is the uh, argument from the unmoved mover, the, the primary cause, the cosmological argument, the argument from beauty, the argument from consciousness. There were there are many, many arguments uh, for God. And uh, th- they're all pretty compelling. But it was slow. I mean, it's a gradual process. Doesn't happen overnight. Didn't, didn't quite happen like Saul on the road to Damascus. There was a, a general coming to. And what are the arguments against God existing? Uh, pain, suffering. I guess those are some arguments against God existing. But, but really, I think those are arguments for God. A world with freedom will imply a world of, of sin and, and pain. Uh, would we prefer a world without freedom? Would we prefer a world that isn't the best possible world? I don't think so. So I, I would explore those arguments first of all, and then I would ask yourself why all of the great geniuses throughout all of human history have believed in God and a, and a pretty similar conception of God. You might want to ask yourself that. Some girl was talking to Antonin Scalia in New York Magazine. She said, what, do you believe in the devil too? And he said, yes, I do believe in the devil. Many more intelligent people than you and I have believed in the devil. That's important advice too. It requires a little bit of humility. Ask yourself this. You say, I see no evidence for God. God doesn't exist because I don't understand metaphysics. I mean, you said things in that question that are demonstrably untrue, right? That, that there, there are only physical things in the world. Your writing that down shows that there are more than physical things in the world. But ask yourself this. How good are you at math? Do you know algebra? Do you know trigonometry? Do you know calculus? Do you know advanced calculus? Do you know analysis, stochastic analysis? Do you know? What, you don't. Of course you don't. Do you know advanced physics? Do you know? No, you don't. You have a, a pretty elementary grasp of all of those things. Why on earth would you think that you have a grasp of God who is infinite? That you could pin, pin down God, that you should understand God? Why, what would make you think that? You can't do multivariable calculus. What would make you think that you can understand all of metaphysics, that which uh, created and sustains the world? Probably not a lot there. Um, I would ask yourself those things. But you need to be humble to begin with. You need to be humbled. And it's very hard to be humble when you're an atheist. Uh, There's this pridefulness that is just endemic to that (laughs) affliction of the mind. And fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, humility. And so you'll have to go after that first. As C.S. Lewis said, you, you can't look for comfort when you're looking for God. You have to look for the truth. If you look for truth, you might find comfort in the end. But if you look for comfort, you'll find neither comfort or truth. Just soft soap and with wishful thinking to begin, and in the end, despair. So look, look for the truth, and I think you'll conclude uh, what 
all of the great minds and spirits of history have concluded as well. Uh, do we have time for one more? I'll do like one more maybe. Just one more, I promise. From Justin. Hey, Michael, my best friend is an alcoholic and his parents threw him out of the house and he is now living with his girlfriend and her mother who are also alcoholics. Yikes. He has a bachelor's degree and half a master's and is working at a pizza place and has dropped out of school. His family has told me not to talk to him about it and that they've done everything they can to do, uh, do to try and get the help he needs and that I shouldn't talk to him about it because it will make things worse. Any advice? I don't know the particulars of your relationship. I don't know the particulars of this guy. I just know what you've told me. A little tough love helps. You need tough love. Some people think that being friends now is being pleasant, being amiable. No way. Sometimes you've got to be really tough with your friends. And usually it's a sign of friendship to be really tough. Now, what's going to work? Is it going to work if you're just screaming at him? I don't know. Maybe that would work. Is it going to work if you ease him into a conversation? You have a kind of intervention? You, I don't know. But people don't have a respect for tough love these days. They think it's being really mean, you know, harshing people's mellows, things like that. But it's not. It's not. You, you need tough love. And, and real friends... Real friends have that. Real friends have a real honesty to them. Shallow friendships, which I see all around, especially in this town. I see a lot of shallow friendships. That's when you go to brunch every so often and you just, oh, how's the food? Oh, it's good. The eggs are good. Hee hee hee. You know, just, oh yeah. But real friendship is you're digging into real things. It's two people standing next to each other, looking at the same thing, dealing really honestly with one another. You got. You should be honest with them. But you, but you know that relationship. I can't give you some doctrinal proclamation. You've got to know the relationship because that's the substance of friendship. Okay. Is that it? Sad. Okay. Before uh, we go, because uh, that's all we've got time for here, I do have to remind you, you're going to have this weekend. Just remember, we are shooting the second season of Another Kingdom right now. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Uh, which is uh, going to be really good. So you've got to make sure that you check out season one. <laughs> we're, we're actually still live right now. Okay. You, yeah. Really?